we're continuing in our discussion. After Jesus rose from the dead, what did he do? For 40 days, for 40 days, Jesus remained in and out with the disciples. Remember, he disappears from them. That's what I mean. He's there and he's not there. And there is a reason for this. And we're discussing at least four of the reasons. There are others, but why Jesus remains for 40 days. What was the first one we discussed? He was there to prove that he rose in a real physical body, but spiritually constituted according to the new creation. Now, that's important. He rose in a real physical body. He had hair. You could hit him on the back and slap him. He had eyes and he had ears. Steve, thank you for coming, man. You're great. Touch me. He ate. Remember that? He came as a real man, and he rose as a real man. But his first body, created according to the original creation, was transformed by the power of God into a newly constituted body of the new creation. Therefore, this is not a resuscitation of the old body of the old creation. It is something brand new along the same line, the similitude of the old but new. Therefore, we said, and I'm sure it's still controversial, when he came, what did he say? Touch me because I have a body of what? Flesh and bone. Now, he left out one important word, which we, I'm sorry, Belt, introduce your friend. Mary, where you at? Dallas. What's that? Oh, you, uh, Kenneth got, Kenneth is, Kenneth, old man Kenneth has a young son. This is his godmother. Good to have you here. All right. So what were we talking about? I don't remember now. Ah, and so the word blood was left out. Now, some people maintain, well, that was just, it was included, but it was understood. No, Jesus, when he taught, and remember, to reveal who he is, he is going to be very specific. He's like a scientist. He's going to say it accurately. And he says, I have a body of flesh and bone. Why? Because in the old creation, the life is in the blood. Where is that verse? The life is in the blood. Leviticus ver- chapter what? 17 verse 11. Okay, you got it. I know you got it. I think that's right. By the way, if I quote a verse and I don't have it right, you please, you, you, you please raise your hand and uh, we'll correct it. Thank you, Cliff. I would not. Thank you. Thank you, big guy. Everybody know Cliff Vogel? Everybody? 
Hello, Cliff. Good. Hello. Good to see you. You got it. Good for you. What's your name again, Rich? What's your name again? Richard. So, the life is in the blood. The old creation is maintained, the life of the old creation is maintained in the blood. In the new creation, the life is maintained by the enduring life of the risen Son of God in whom and with whom we forever dwell before the presence of God, our Father. Amen? There ain't no need for the old creation method of maintaining our life. It is now by the power of this resurrected man. Do you get that? We maintain eternally on the basis of a living man before the throne of God. Then we talked about Jesus' care. And what was the principal blessing that Jesus gave to his disciples? It's called the Aaronic Aaron. Aaron, Aaronic blessing. Do you remember where it is? Numbers what? Six, 24 to 26. Somebody quote it for me without reading it. Just quote it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift the count of, up his countenance upon you and give you peace, shalom, well-being, cessation of warfare, no more enmity with God. Why? Why? Because the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross has been fully, finally, and forever accepted by God as reference to the payment of the guilt of our sin. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God from Romans 5, 1. So he declares peace. This morning we talk about the next one, and we're talking about commands. So Jesus gave proof, then he began to care. This morning we're going to talk about the commands, and next week uh, we're going to talk. Isn't it command? No, 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 no. It's correction this week, and the, I left the command to the last one, command next week. So let's go on with it. When Jesus was about to depart from the earth, remember what his disciples asked him. What do they ask him? Is this the time when the kingdom is going to be established? We're ready for it. We're ready for it. Why? Why were they so anxious and ready for the kingdom to be established? Because a couple of reasons, obviously. They were living under what? Does everybody know this lady who's coming in right now? What is her name? Janine. And she's sitting next to Lester. An obvious reason why they are looking, Judy, is this going to be the time? This is going to be the time. Can you imagine Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's presented himself alive, remember, to the disciples at various times and the locations and through various means. So now they are convinced he's alive. The Messiah is back. And this time, he's capable of overthrowing what? 
Rome and all the oppressors. He's back in power. He's back. And so the obvious question should be, is now the time? And one of the reasons why they're asking for this is not only a political reason, but what? A selfish reason. Because you see, if Jesus established the kingdom now, we're going to be part of it. I'm going to be sitting at this part of the, this hand. I'm going to be sitting on this hand. Remember that? Would you give, remember the, the mama of James and John? Would you grant for them when you come in your kingdom for one to sit on your left and one on the right? Remember that? And so I can't wait for the kingdom to be established because, first of all, we want to be freed. And secondly, I want my position. Correct? Now, is this wrong thinking? Well, it needs to be adjusted not if you would. I, I know I put correction in here, but it needs the adjustment, correction of adjustment. Jesus didn't say, all of y'all are wrong or whatever. He doesn't say that. But why are they looking for the establishment of the kingdom? Is this something that was based in their scriptures? Should they have been able to look at the scriptures and to have correctly understood that God's purpose in sending the Messiah was to establish God's kingdom. Is that scriptural? Were they thinking scripturally? Yes or no? Yes. So let's read through some of the scriptures with which they would be thoroughly familiar. Some of them may be a little whatever to us, but these men were trained in Judaism. They knew their scriptures. And so this notion that Israel would be reestablished as God's earthly kingdom to rule over the nations was not just wishful thinking. So let's look at it, beginning with Abraham and moving through. In Genesis 17, 1 through 6, the Lord is appearing to Abraham now. This is a third time we have God and Abraham interchanging uh, Um, with one another. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. So immediately, what does the word kings conjure in your mind? If there is a king, he is a king over a kingdom. So what is God promising Abraham? He's promising that you are the progenitor. Does that make sense to you? You are the beginning of this kingdom coming. You are the one who is the one in whom I will work initially to bring about the creation of a kingdom. So they know this. Genesis thirty-five eleven, And God said to Jacob, remember Jacob who is also named Israel, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. 
So again, the hope of a kingdom. Remember in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, Israel has been captured by an alien kingdom called Egypt and have been in the captivity of Egypt for about 430 or so years. And so the Lord moves in great power over a, an eight-month period bringing ten plagues against the house of Egypt. Each one, each one of these plagues having to do with an aspect of the religious system of Egypt culminating in the last plague upon which the entire religious system of Egypt rested. And what is that? That the Pharaoh is a living God. And so the Lord says, I will strike the son of Pharaoh. Remember the firstborn. And if God can do this, what has he just done to the structure of the Egyptian religious system? He's already whacked all this other stuff, all these other gods that they worship. But now he's going to hit the principal God, the living God on earth, so they think. And if he can take their son, his son, the, the, the Pharaoh's son, he proves that Pharaoh is not a god, that God himself, in fact, the God of Israel, is God. And so we come then, they move into the desert, and remember we're about to receive the Ten Commandments having been released from Pharaoh's captivity. And in Exodus 19, verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So God says, you're going to be a special people, a kingdom. Remember who talked about a kingdom of priests? Remember First Peter talks about that. Remember the promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 13. And this is a key Davidic promise, the Davidic covenant. This is a key um, scripture in our Bible. So it's one that we need to know that's there. He tells, the Lord tells David, I will raise up your offspring. Remember the word seed. I put seed in there. Why do I put word seed in there? Because where does it say the seed of the woman? Genesis what? Three what? Fifteen. Three fifteen. Genesis three fifteen. The seed of a woman shall do what? There's one who's coming. There's a man coming. The seed of the woman. And the Lord is talking, remember, to Satan, to the serpent cursing the serpent for having beguiled and deceived Eve and Adam deliberately sinning as a result of that. And so what does he say to the serpent? I'm sending a man. You, you've, you've deceived this man and this woman. You caused them to sin. I'm sending a man who's going to overcome that. And how is this man going to overcome the, the uh, fall of Adam? How is he going to overcome it? He is going to be struck as to his heel. He will be wounded on his heel. But as to Satan's head, he will do what? Crush Satan's head. Authority. Do you remember the verse? 315 of Genesis. And so how is that going to happen? Well, when we look at 321, we see that. 
what does Adam and what does God do in relation to this man and woman having given them the promise of a coming deliverer, the word deliverer, Messiah, anointed one, Christ, Christos. How is this deliverer going to achieve the deliverance of his people from the kingdom of Satan and transfer them into the kingdom of God's dear son in Colossians 1.13? How is that going to happen? What happens in Genesis 3.21? And God, what? Clothed Adam and Eve with the skins of an animal. Now, what happens when you skin an animal? Perry, what happens? It bleeds. It bleeds. The shedding of blood is going to be the way the Messiah who was promised in 315 is going to deliver God's people from Satan's kingdom. Remember Colossians 1.13? Having delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of God's dear son. Colossians 1.13. That's a good verse to remember. And how is he going to do it? Through the shedding of his blood. And as a result of that, there will be a new kingdom established which will be populated by those for whom the Messiah has atoned at the cross. Are you with me on this? We must make sure that we're getting it all together and see it comprehensively as one great word of revelation from Genesis 1 all the way to the end in Revelation 22. And so now we come to this um, prophecy, if you would, in David, and it continues the same thought. I will raise up your seed. Remember the seed of the woman. After you, who shall come from your own body? A real man. And I will establish his kingdom. Here it is. Jesus is back. He's been called the son of David many times, and he's never repudiated that. And he's back, and we are ready for the establishment of the kingdom of Jesus, the son of David, as promised to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 13. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Oh, do you hear their hearts beating? This is it. Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. Remember that. This is toward the end of the New Testament. It's during the time of the building of the uh, second temple. It's called the second temple period. The first temple being destroyed in 586, remember, by Nebuchadnezzar, the one that was built by Solomon. The second temple being rebuilt in 520 under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra. Do, Do you remember some of these things? So there's a second temple. And Zechariah is one of the prophets that is prophesying during this particular period. And he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See. Now, when I read this, what day do you remember? Your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. Your who? King. On a coat of a fowl of a donkey. And I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. And he will proclaim peace to the nations. Remember, peace be with you. And his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. What day did they see that beginning to be fulfilled? Palm Sunday. That's just a few days 
from when uh, the resurrection is today. We're with Jesus now. That's just a few days ago. So he's fulfilled that. And I'm ready for his what, Jody? His kingdom. And we should be. You see, is it any wonder that the disciples thought that now was the time for Jesus to immediately establish the kingdom? They were right about the establishment of the kingdom, but they had the timing wrong. Now, what does this say to us about many things? There's much in the Bible that still has to be worked out. Are you with me? Fulfilled. And we have to be very careful to make sure that we're standing on the right foundation. So, for instance, in these days, and I think it's appropriate to do this, we need to be thinking about the return of Christ more and more and more. Why? Not only are we getting closer and closer because every day is closer, but I think the, the t- times of the signs of the times show we're getting closer. Do you agree with that? We're getting closer. But we must stand on the ground of the, what we solidly know about that, and that is this. Jesus Christ who has ascended, is coming back. Remember what the angel said? He's going, but what? He's coming back. Now, is that the truth? All the other issues ancillary to that truth, connected to that truth, are also truth. But we have to be careful how we understand them. And there's going to be disagreement as to Is he going to come back and everybody will be taken away or raptured together, the church? Or will he delay and there will be a seven-year rapture? I mean, a rapture in a seven-year tribulation period and then he'll come back? Or is there what we call a mid-trib rapture, a rapture in the middle of the seven-year, the three-and-a-half-year, and then he'll come back? Or will he establish a thousand-year kingdom on earth and then finally change Satan, remember, and uh, lose Satan, and, and then he'll come back? Or is that uh, another understanding of the church age? So which one is correct? All of them are correct, essentially. Do we understand that? Don't go out of here saying Peter Davidson doesn't believe his Bible. But how are we to understand them? These men understood, essentially, the kingdom was going to be established. But some of the facts and some of the timing, they didn't get clear. Why? Because they had not given, been given full revelation. They'd been given enough revelation to believe it. But the revelation that they weren't given to absolutely, completely, unequivocally to say this is it was not given to them. Why? so that they would not depend upon the seasons and the activities and their own ability to know, but on the God who will bring it about. You see, there is a danger of us who believe in the Bible of committing too much to our own understanding or the teaching of particular people rather than just to say humbly, I don't know. For sure. So let me ask you this, and I've asked it before. In relation to these end time understandings, 
You do see, I, I do believe in the end times. Did, did you get that? Now, which one do I adhere to? How many of you know? You don't know. I, you're right. Two people said all of them <clears throat> comprehensively. How many of you would say this? I will bet my eternal life with Christ on the fact that I am absolutely right. Raise your hand. So here's the answer. We don't know. Don't you love it? Does anybody know absolutely for sure that you would say, my salvation is based on this? So what can we humbly say? I think I understand it this way. But let's hear what you have to say. And let's consider this thought. And let's not be upset when Troy thinks one way and Burtis thinks another way. They can discuss. But let's not be separated by these issues. Secondary issues are not to separate us. They, in fact, are to join us together even more concretely because we all are in the same boat. We all don't know and all must be more and more dependent upon the Holy Spirit, asking and waiting on him and just being very satisfied with the limited knowledge that he gives us. Amen? Amen. Yes. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Why did she quote that? For the what? Secret things belong to the Lord, and the things that are revealed belong to us. In other words, if God said, I ain't telling you, don't go beyond it. (laughs) Do you see where these disciples are? So Jesus' response was not a rejection. Oh, come on, old man. Mm. Let me get going. It's not a rejection of the belief, but an adjustment. So how does he say, oh, you're coming back now. Is this it? Is this it? It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Yeah, but we can know. I, I know that China has this, and I know that, and I know there are more earthquakes in a very general sense. But Jesus is saying, don't look at that. That's not the significant thing right now. There's something more significant than to be than preoccupied with these events. Know them, be ready for them in a general way, be looking, but don't be what? Myopic or preoccupied with them. Do you see that? Indeed, Jesus was setting up the kingdom, but differently than the disciples understood. In his next statement, Jesus explained that the kingdom would be built. Do you have this in your notes? Look at it. The kingdom would be built by the progressive cooperative work of God in and with his people as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's important for us. That's what's in God's mind more than can you figure out when I'm coming back and how many are going to do this and what's going to be happening and is the Pope the Antichrist? (laughs) (laughs) Have you heard some of the teachings? I don't know whether the Pope's the Antichrist or not. How would I know? I mean, God didn't tell me, Chris, so I don't know. Some people think Trump's the Antichrist. Some people think, what's the lady, Senator? Pelosi's the Antichrist. I don't know. I don't know. But here, look, this is what Jesus is saying. 
The kingdom is going to be built by the progressive, cooperative. Those two words are extremely important. Work of God in and with his people as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, look, don't worry about the times and the seasons, but here's what I want you to do. But you're going to receive power when that the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me or to me. Both where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. That's what you keep your mind on. Keep your mind on not the end results too much. Keep your mind on the present activity of building the kingdom. That's how you honor God and are used effectively. Does it mean we shouldn't talk about those other things? Of course not. In this progressive cooperative work, we are called what? God's fellow workers. You see, I think did he put 1 Corinthians 3 9 in there. We are God's fellow workers. There's just so much to say about all this. I just have to say this. I have to say it. I want you to think a second. Think about yourself. I put me in this category. How many of us, from time to time and maybe regularly, get so frustrated and impatient with others as we are living together and walking together. Don't we do that? Do we see that? Just frustrated. When is this? When is you? Why did, you know, what? we do that regularly. Why? Because we love ourselves too much. So here's what I want you to consider. I want you to consider the deference. Do you know what deference means? Giving place to. Do you understand that? The deference. Giving place to. I give place to you, Chris, in this issue. Okay. It's an issue to which I can do so. I, I defer to you. I give deference to you. Consider the deference of God to us. Consider it. The deference of this God that he would dare Commit himself and his purposes to frail, faulty, failing, weak people such as we. To me, one of the most overwhelming aspects of God is his deference. His deference to me. His deference to me when I don't understand. His deference to me when I am sinning. His deference to me when I'm being impatient with one of you. His deference to me when we become irritated. His deference to us. Today, if you don't get anything else, Leave here asking God on a regular basis. Father, give me a greater understanding and experience 
of your deference to me as a fellow worker. Really, God joining his work with you, Tammy. Really, you're so great. Oh, great, Tammy. Wonderful, Tammy May. No. It should humble us to the dust that God would in any way first save us and then place the building of his kingdom in us by the Spirit who lives in us and who experiences our frailties and weaknesses on a weekly basis or moment-by-moment basis as he works in us and often and often, maybe too often, against our flesh. Amen. His deference is to me an absolutely overwhelming understanding of God. So when you become impatient with another believer, especially even an unbeliever, when you become whatever, irritated, when you become whatever, please remember the deference of God to you, to me. And hopefully that will not only slow us down in our fleshliness, in our inflicting our self-love upon someone else, but then we'll allow the Holy Spirit as we call upon him to wash us and to cleanse us and to purify us more and more of this too much self-love, replacing it with God's deferential, humble love that was manifested clearly in Christ and is given to us in the Holy Spirit. It's the Father's deference we're talking about in sending the Son and then sending the Spirit. It's one of those understandings of God that I think are way too little understood and talked about and believed in by believers. The deference of this God of ours to me is overwhelming. So I'll stop in a moment. We're called God's fellow workers. In Nehemiah, some of you may remember Nehemiah, beginning in chapter 3 and then on for the next couple of chapters. They are rebuilding, remember, the walls that have been torn down by the enemies of God in Jerusalem. And they rebuild these walls in a spectacular, unbelievable, I think it's 52 days. I could be corrected. I think it's 52 days. If it isn't 52, it's 55. And how do they do it? There are two words essentially. What are the two words that are used? There are others, but what are the two words? Next to, and next to Peter is Chris. And next to Chris is Steve. And next to Steve is Daniel and so on and Isaac. Next to, what is the other word? Did I give you two in the, in the uh, notes? One another. Or working with. Sorry. Where am I? One another and each other. And next to. I should have said next to. How are the walls built? They're built by the cooperative, progressive work of God's people under the direction and the empowerment and the protection of the Holy Spirit. And the walls of Jerusalem are built. How are the walls of the kingdom of heaven built? By the same way. 
This means this, that as believers, our primary call is to be builders of the kingdom as God's fellow workers as we cooperatively work what? Together. Thus the kingdom is built. So Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to wait for. I want you to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's a cooperative work. It's not something that I'm raised from the dead and now I want you to build the kingdom. You see, I am not called to work for God. I'm not called to work for God. I don't work for God. I join God in his work by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God's work of building, and I am his fellow worker, working his work with him cooperatively with others. Do you see that? So we're not working God's work. We are, sorry, we're not working for God. We are joining God in the enterprise of his building the kingdom. And we're doing that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you see, Acts 8, 1, 8 is not essentially and most exclusively about speaking in tongues. We're a Pentecostal people. We believe in that. But that's not the burden of this verse. Too many Pentecostals have stolen it and said, see, this is it. This is it. You're going to get this gift. You're going to get this gift. It is about the power of the Holy Spirit in us, bringing us together as the body of Christ, as living stones. Remember in 1 Peter 2? So that together, collectively, we are working with God's Spirit as co-workers with God for the building of his kingdom. That's what all this is about. So Jesus wants to correct. It's not that this season, that season, whatever. But where should our minds be as believers? Our minds should be on the progressive, cooperative work that we have as God's fellow workers being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the burden and the emphasis of God in our lives today. That's how his purpose will be fulfilled and is being fulfilled. So thank you so much, and we'll be back next week.